Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. I still have swine flu. I should add that I've recorded this episode directly after another episode, so please don't think that I've had swine flu for like a month, just in case they don't play them sequentially. Yeah, you better hope they don't play this one first. Yeah, that will also be very confusing for you guys. Yes, it will. But if, if they do play this one first, trust me, it'll all be worthwhile in the end. All right. So let's start off with a little listener mail. Now, by a little listener mail, I mean a lot of listener mail, because I've got two different ones to read. All right, then. The first one comes from Terrell, and he says, Hey, Jonathan and Chris, I love listening to your podcast on my drive to and from work. It makes being up at 5.30 bearable. Gosh, if only I had something like that. I had a quick question for you. I have no idea if this is a quick little subject or something longer, but something I've always wondered. Why are the keys on a computer keyboard laid out the way they are? I understand that it came from typewriters, but when you look at it and think about it, they just seem to be random letters in arbitrary places. I've been using a keyboard my whole life, so I can type fast without having to look at them without really a problem, but the fact of the matter remains the same. I also remember a couple of years ago hearing about a new keyboard layout that was possibly going to happen, which supposedly would make typing much faster. I was really glad it didn't after using a keyboard for about two decades, but it's interesting nonetheless. Anyways, thanks for a great podcast and hope to hear from you. And then here's the second listener mail. This one comes from Chad, a.k.a. Chainsaw. Chainsaw has this to say. Hey there. As I was typing up an email to your rival podcast, Stuff You Should Know, I came up with an idea for your podcast. You see, I don't use a normal QWERTY keyboard. I use a Dvorak keyboard instead, so I thought a podcast on alternative keyboard layouts could be fun. I also seem to remember a keyboard made for gaming that you could buy custom key layouts for that you would swap in and out for each game. From what I remembered, the main advantage of it is that you would only have the keys needed to play the game, so the buttons were bigger and had the action printed right on it. Run, jump, reload, etc. But I can't remember what it was called. The only problem I see with this idea is explaining how the keyboard looks with audio only. Anyways, let me know what you think of the idea. So we're going to do an episode all about baguettes. Yes. No, keyboards. So, Brad, how do you think? We're going to talk about keyboards. That was a long setup for a terrible joke. You know what? Emily's going to write to me about that. Probably. Emily, I've got swine flu. Go easy on me. So let's start with the good old-fashioned QWERTY keyboard that we all know and loathe. Love. I don't loathe the QWERTY keyboard. (laughs) Actually, I'm quite proficient at the QWERTY keyboard, so I don't loathe it either. Uh, Now, this comes from a design that was patented Way back in eighteen seven in the eighteen seventies, <laughs> I I thought I had the date, but I just have the eighteen seventies. I have eighteen seventy three. Okay, so uh, um, by Christopher Scholes. Yes, and this was for something called a typewriter. Yes. Now, the typewriter back in the day was a completely mechanical machine, no electricity. All right. It's so, hard to believe that some people listening may not know that, but it is possible yeah, that some of you may not have actually ever seen a real for honest-to-goodness typewriter. I've used them before, and they are a challenge. An old one is really kind of rough to use because if the action isn't great on the keys, you have to push really hard to get a, a good impression. Yeah, I've got an Underwood at home. 
actually. It weighs about 700,000 pounds. It is very, very heavy. Yeah, I've, I've, I can't remember what the brand was. It was the, I, what was the other big one besides Underwood? Remington? Yes, it was Remington. Remington. That was the one that I used. Well, that's because, uh, you know, Christopher Latham Scholes pitched it to Remington Arms Company. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about why the keyboard, why he, he decided to lay the keyboard out in this way. First of all, well, we'll talk about the, the whole way a typewriter works is that the key is connected to a uh, mechanical arm that um, when you press down the key, little levers push the arm up and uh, press it against a ribbon and against a piece of paper, and then you get the the letter printed on the page. Have you ever seen a piece of carbon paper? Again, many of you may not have, but basically what it does is as you press, if you put a piece of paper down on the table and put a piece of carbon paper down on top of it and then rub something on it, you'll get a mark when you lift the carbon paper off the paper. It leaves a mark on the paper. Well, that's essentially what the typewriter ribbon is doing. The ribbon moves so that you're not wearing a hole through the ribbon. Yeah, you would you so, would quickly either wear a hole through the ribbon or you'd wear off the, the ink, essentially. Yeah, and it's pretty fragile stuff, too, yeah. so you don't want to, uh, you know, type too many letters in one place on the right. ribbon. But, um the uh, the typewriter keys on the older style typewriters, and they were in use for, I'm guessing, probably around 100 years, you know, based on 1873 to the IBM Selectric, yeah. one of which I also have at home. Um, these little arms would come up, and they each have uh, an individual letter on them. They, they smack the ribbon and make the mark on the paper. It's actually pretty simple stuff and right. until you get to the you know mechanics of – what happens when you start touch typing and not hunting and pecking? Yeah. So one of the issues here is that if you were a proficient typist and you had the keys laid out in such a way that uh, the most the most common letters are all under the strongest fingers and you were to type very quickly, you would suddenly start to experience problems with this key, this this typewriter. And the problem was that the arms would kind of get entangled. Um, I've actually had this happen with old typewriters where, you know, you're trying to type and then they, a couple of them stick together and you, you have to, you know, loosen the two up and then you have to start over again. Um, with the typewriter design that Schulz was working with, it was particularly difficult because where the, 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 uh, the little arm was hitting the ribbon against the paper. It wasn't in view of the typist. It was actually under a carriage. You had to open the, the typewriter up to get to that point. So if things jammed up, you would not only have to stop, but you would actually have to essentially remove part of the typewriter in order to fix it. Yeah. It was actually in your benefit to, to hunt and peck at that time. Yeah. Because the key needed a chance to return to its place after, after, you know, typed a letter onto the paper. So Scholz is, uh, his solution to this problem was a pretty, you know, ingenious one. What's the best way to prevent keys from jamming up? Well, we could redesign the typewriter so that it wasn't using that exact same method. Uh, or, you know, we could uh, try and find some way of, of uh, clearing each of the arms. But that's a lot of work. Why don't we just put all the keys in different places so that it naturally slows down the typist and and puts the most common keys away from me or common letters away from each other so that you're not likely to have two arms close together strike at about the same time and then get tangled up. Yep. So in other words, bungling it up for the rest of us on purpose so that his machine would work better. The thing is, though, 
It doesn't always, because as far as touch typing goes, once you learn the layout of the keyboard, you know, it's a matter of speed and proficiency. So right. once you become proficient, it, your speed increases anyway. Well, but the idea here was that if you did keep the most common letters away from each other, then even if you were a faster typist, the, you weren't likely to have them jam each other because they wouldn't be right next to one another. Yes. Um, sidebar number one, <laughs> I have two. Sidebar number one, uh, my mother used to be a, a secretary back before they were called admins. And um, she could type 135 words per minute. That's fast. That is very fast. And um, <laughs> she, you know, before this electric came out, that'll be sidebar number two. Um, the uh, Before this electric came out, the, uh, you know, and she would type on one of these, uh, you know, QWERTY keyboards on a typewriter with the little arms. And eventually they had to replace her typewriter because the little arms would wear on one another so much that basically they were unusable. Mm. And the, the, you know, they started wearing into the letters and that's sort of problematic. Um, sidebar number two, I guess I'll go ahead and get it out of the way is sure. just, you know, the other solution to the problem is not the keyboard. Um, the, uh, later typewriters use a ball. Um, and it's, it's pretty ingenious actually because all the letters are, uh, you know, made into the single ball and you can actually change fonts. It's actually pretty cool because you can change fonts by changing the ball on the typewriter. But what the, the uh, typewriter does when you press a key, it rotates the ball and smacks the, the ribbon against the paper for the position of that letter. So if the T is on the side facing you, the typewriter actually has to turn the ball all the way, you know, 180 degrees, hit the paper, and then it returns to its, uh, you know, place. But it also is very, uh, it, it speeds up, um, for people who are typing because, uh, it is much, much faster and the key, there's no, there are no keys to jam on, you know, on the other side and it's, you know, a lot, you know, more efficient. However, you know, the keyboard is, uh, now attached to a computer and the whole point is sort of moot. Yeah. So here's the problem was that the Remington typewriter got really popular. Yeah. <laughs> it became the, the model that all other typewriters were, were essentially based off of for in the, at least in the English speaking world for quite mm -hmm. some time. And because of that, it meant that we were kind of stuck with the QWERTY keyboard. So even as technology advanced, because people had become so used to the QWERTY keyboard, that became the standard. Even, even when it became completely a non-factor where your technology had advanced to the point where you didn't have to worry about keys smashing into each other or, or, you know, arms smashing into each other, or even in the electronic age where you're not even having any moving parts. Yeah. Didn't matter because the QWERTY keyboard had been around so long. <clears throat> For one thing, people had learned to type on the QWERTY keyboard and to change that would require retraining people to type. They'd have to learn a new way to type on a new keyboard. And that, that's a, you know, a big turnoff for a lot of, uh, organizations. They don't want to spend the time and money that it would take to retrain people to learn how to type on a different kind of keyboard. Um, even if you could technically type faster on the new keyboard once you got proficient. Mm -hmm. Because it just, it means taking a step back. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, there are more efficient ways to lay out the keyboard, but why would we go through that trouble if this is good enough? Yeah. Right? And it's, we've been using it for, more than a hundred years now. I mean, there's, that's a lot of momentum. Hasn't stopped people from trying. Nope. And I'm sure you're probably going to start with, uh, Dr. August Dvorak. Oh, I thought it was John C. Dvorak. No. I was wondering why he didn't have a key that just said, ha. Oh. 
Seriously. Anyone who knows who John C. Dvorak is will find that funny, and everyone else will have to go and Google John C. Dvorak and find out why I made a gr- grumpy noise. Um, no, nor, <laughs> nor is it the, the composer uh, Dvorak. No, no. So – Night Symphony is awesome. This this Dvorak came up with uh, an alternative keyboard in the 30s, I believe, right? Yeah, well, uh, apparently um, he sort of gained prominence thanks to World War II because they needed more efficient typists. Mm-hmm. And um, from the information I've read, um, his his research indicated that it took three years to reach 47 words per minute. Three years of touch typing on QWERTY keyboards. Now, granted, these are these are the old typewriters. Too. Yeah, yeah. These this so is pre-selectric days. You, you got to remember that that key the pressure on. that you use to press these keys are in part what determines whether or not your letter makes it onto the page. Because yeah. uh, typing on these old typewriters was a workout. Let me tell you, it's not quite the same as like if you were to if you were to take someone. Transport someone from the say the 1880s who had been used to an old 1880s Remington typewriter and put them on say a MacBook Pro, you'd probably wince as they tried to type because you'd be worried that they were going to punch holes through the machine. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sorry, I totally derailed you. No, no, no. Um, but uh, according according to uh, Dvorak, Doctor Dvorak, he uh, he said his on his keyboard you could reach that same level of proficiency after just 52 hours. Wow. And a Navy study seemed to back him up because uh, it said uh, people using the Dvorak keyboards were 74% faster and they were 68% more accurate. Well, I have to say, whenever I have a Navy official viewing me, I do tend to type faster. Okay. I'm just saying, those guys are – SEALs are scary guys. I'm just saying. I want to ask you when the last time you had a SEAL watching you type was, but I I don't think I want to know. Well, the last time was at SeaWorld, but that was a totally different kind of SEAL. Oh, I've been shamooned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about what Dvorak did to design his keyboard. Okay. Like what, what was he thinking about? And he was thinking about what a couple of things. What were you thinking? Uh, yeah. Well, he was thinking more than more than let's try and space these letters apart so we slow people down. He was he was concerned with making things easier for typists, not more difficult. Yeah, that that actually uh yeah. A lot of people think that it was directly for that, but Yeah. Well, he was looking mainly at things like how frequently certain letters are used in the English language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the lang- the letters that are used more frequently should be located in ways that are easiest to reach. Mm-hmm. The letters that are least frequently used should be put someplace kind of out of the way because, you know, you're not going to have to reach for them that often. And then he also was looking at the physiology of people's fingers. He wanted to see like, OK, well, the strongest fingers should be the ones that are connected to the that are, you know, would be typing the most common letters because you don't tire out as quickly. You can go much faster. Um, so that also played a part in it. Um, so you, if you look at a Dvorak keyboard, I mean, it looks pretty much the same as a QWERTY keyboard. It's just the letters are all in different places than what you're used to, except for like the A. The A button is pretty much in the same place. And there are more than one Dvorak layout uh, scheme. Mm-hmm. So when you say a Dvorak keyboard, they're not all the same. But the uh, the Dvorak typists all have uh, atrophied pinkies because uh, there are no – they don't have to use them for anything really. Well, except right? for the A. Well, okay. <laughs> the left pinky. That's another thing I should point out is that the QWERTY keyboard, um, it, it favors left-handers, which really? might be another reason why I like Interesting. it. Yeah, there are more words that you can type with just your left hand than you can type with um, 
your right hand. For instance, I think the longest word that you can type with your left hand is stewardesses. Really? Yeah. You can and it's a shame now because you, it, flight attendants, you can't type with one hand. I know. I, I type that word now and I get slapped. Yeah. It happens. But anyway, the, the Dvorak keyboard kind of shifts that a little bit over to the right hand. Uh, so the right hand gets a little more weight because I mean, more people are right handed than left handed. So we mm-hmm. sinister people are kind of shoved aside yet again, made the social pariahs. Forced to learn how to write with our other hand when we're naturally gifted with the left hand. I'm going to smack you in the hand with a ruler if you type on only the wrong hand. only with the right hand. If yeah. you smack me in the right hand, I'm okay because I'm left-handed. So so, uh, um, but the, the other you know the couple of other issues like like all the mm-hmm. all the vowels in Dvorak's keyboard are on a, a little row uh, on the the home row on the left hand. So instead of them being spread across the keyboard, they're all located in one little row. So it's sort of like a great vowel shift. Yes, it is a great vowel shift. The three linguists in listening are <laughs> laughing. Everyone else is confused. Yeah, everyone else is like, what? Huh? I think I might have heard about this in my Shakespeare class. Um, um, all right, go ahead. I was just going what to. What was po- your um? Well, I, I want to make sure before we get to, you know, closing out the Dvorak keyboard, sure. that I get to make a point. All right, go ahead and make your point. I was just going to say that apparently, based on a, an article I saw in, in Reason magazine, uh, the Navy study was biased. Uh, in general, the Dvorak keyboard is not necessarily more efficient, but it may be more ergonomic because okay. a lot of people have said that, uh, or you know, people I've read said that um, it can it can be a more casual uh, typing style. It, it can, you know, it's not you don't have to twist and turn. Uh, your your fingers quite as much. You don't have quite as many finger gymnastics going on as yes. you would with the QWERTY keyboard. But I but I kind of enjoy it. You know, my my pinky finger is getting pretty good at the rings. Yeah, my uh, my typing speed on a QWERTY keyboard is about ninety words per minute. Um, it would take me a long time, I think, to get up to that speed with a Dvorak keyboard just from just having to learn the new layout and. Uh, like Chainsaw, uh, I uh, and and some of our other listeners, um, I'm perfectly comfortable typing without looking at the keys. Uh, so, you know, it, the the idea of having to learn a new keyboard is kind of intimidating to me. But we wanted to talk about a couple of other keyboards as well. Okay. Now, you were looking at some keyboards for different languages and regions, right? Yeah, yeah. Want to talk um, about that a little bit? A lot, of, uh, a lot of the keyboards that you find around the world are, you know, if you went to another country, uh, obviously if you went to someplace like China – or, um, you know, Thailand or someplace, you're going to see quite different characters. Right. Like a kanji keyboard would be yeah, much different yeah. from an English keyboard. And as you were, you were saying before we started recording, a lot of these require multi key presses because they're basically using very, very similar layouts. I would assume probably because the manufacturer of keyboards, you know, if you're going to make keyboards for people all around the world, you know, you're going to try to fit the same rough number of keys. It's about, 80 to 100, 120 keys. Yeah, and if you've got a language that has hundreds and hundreds of characters. Like, yes, where like words are Chinese represented by whole words, characters yeah, exactly. instead of letters. Um, then you're going to need some sort of uh, of probably a software solution rather than a hardware solution mm-hmm. to try and 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 equival- uh, make a, the equivalent of that in your keyboard. So, yeah, you would have to maybe push five or six different keys in succession to create one single character. But um, actually, it's probably less than that because that would be when I sit there and think about that exponentially. That would be a huge number of yeah. characters. It's probably more like two or three. 
But it, it's funny because I was uh, talking to our producer, Tyler, right before uh, we started recording mm-hmm. about, you know, the operating system supports other layouts. You know, we were talking about I've never seen a Dvorak keyboard in the in the flesh or right. in the plastic and or, metal. Yeah, exactly. Um, Silicon. But whatever. you can easily go and get into your computer's OS settings and change it over. But the letters will still be right. You different can, labels. Most of the labels. most current operating systems do support uh, alternate keyboard layouts and some of them you can even customize it exactly the way you want you don't even have to necessarily use a, a um uh you know a standardized layout at all if you mm. really wanted to and the keys what will happen is the operating system will map the uh the keys to their new designations mm-hmm. so you might say you know what um i don't want the q key to be the q key anymore i want that to be uh you know z because i hardly ever use z and it'll be for my little pinky and i'm going to put that right there not that I think you'd use Q that often either, but yeah. the point being that you could relocate it, and then when you press it, the the operating system maps that press to mean Z. Sure. Now, granted, the the physical key itself is still going to say Q. Well, you could, uh, depending on the kind of keyboard you have, you may be able to pry the keys off and replace them. Right. You or you, know, you or you could always trouble. just put stickers on top with new letters on them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could go, uh, you know, sort of depends on the language. Like you might see, uh, the Azerty keyboard in France mm-hmm. or the, uh, Quartz keyboard in, in Germany. And they've got, uh, specific keys for A, O, and U with the umlaut because they're so frequently used. Right. Whereas we have to like insert a symbol or something like that or right. do a, 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 some sort of macro. Or, and you know, you could find keyboards with a, a strict alphabetical. Uh, layout, you know, A, B, C, D, E keyboards. Yep. That's what they call those. And then there's the expert keyboard, uh, which is a different layout that was designed in 2003. We actually, it's in our, our article on, uh, keyboards. Oh yeah. On, on the, uh, on the website, you know, so howstuffworks.com. Yeah. What's, what's the expert keyboard? I haven't read this article. Um, actually, yeah, when I went to the website to learn more about it, uh, it's, it's designed as an alternative to the Dvorak keyboard. It actually has, it again is, you, you know, based on the, the keys that you want to strike and the frequency with which the letters occur. It has two E's, one for each hand because huh. E appears so frequently. Interesting. Uh, but it's supposed to, you know, make the key combinations from hand to hand more efficient. That would definitely make typing I, E, E, E easier. True. Not that we write about them all that frequently. No, we just go, aye. But those are just different keyboard layouts. Yes. And we were going to talk about different kinds of keyboards, like the gaming keyboards. Right. So there are gaming keyboards out there. I really don't have a whole lot to say about them. I mean, they're mainly, they're just really a a special kind of control, really, when you get down to it. Oh, it's another way for, (laughs) it's another way for the keyboard manufacturers to make money. Yeah. I mean. Here, buy another $80 keyboard. Some of them are, some of them are designed in such a way so that it's easier for you to reach certain keys like the W, A, S, and D keys, which are often used sure. in first person shooters and other, other games for moving your character around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now on a, a standard keyboard, it might be a little cramped to put your fingers there. You know, it's just a little weird because you're, if you, especially if you want to be holding down all or have contact with all four keys at the same time, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with a cramped hand after about half an hour. Um, so a lot of these keyboards just have a different spacing, um, and they may be a little more reinforced. Some of them have backlighting, um, you know, stuff that makes it look a little fancier. In, in general, they're still very functional keyboards. Uh, some of them may have, uh, preset macros where you can, 
um, have things set up so that pushing one button actually executes a series of commands, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, a lot of games support that. And you can do it on your own with a normal keyboard, but you kind of have to know what you're doing. Some of these kind of take that out of your, you know, out of your hands and do it automatically so you don't have to actually, you know, sit there and follow a set of instructions to program your, your macros right. so that you can be elite. <laughs> um, then, uh, I've never had much use for, or the gaming keyboards that much, but then that's because I'm not a, I'm not a big gamer. Um, if I were, I probably would love one of those. Mm-hmm, you know, they're, mm-hmm. In general, I've heard good things about them from, from gamers. Right. Uh, but since I don't game often enough to be in their, uh, esteemed company, it's not something that I've ever invested in. Yeah. yeah. Now, if we want to talk about a real investment, well, first let's talk about the, First, let's talk about the major investment. Then let's talk about the majorly crazy investment. Major investment would be Optimus Maximus. Yes, the OLED or OLED keyboard from Art Lebedev. Yes, it has 113 keys that are each an individual display. And you want to talk about Vorak keyboards or mapping keys and pulling them off? You don't have to do it because your keys can be anything you want them to be. Right, because each key each is essentially a little – yeah, it's a little display. So if you wanted Very to cool. – if you suddenly wanted to type in the Cyrillic alphabet, you could tell your keyboard that that's what you want and suddenly all of your English letters will change to Cyrillic letters. Yep. And hey, you know, at, at the bargain price of fifteen ninety nine ninety nine on thinkgeek.com at the moment, they're out of stock. Yeah. I've seen, they can't keep I think them the in. lowest I've seen is like 1457. So we're talking around a thousand five hundred bucks for most places for this keyboard. That's really, really expensive. Now that you might sit there and think like, wow, that's got to be one of the most expensive keyboards out there. Um, but why don't you take a look? Well, yes, at, it is one of the most expensive. Yeah, keyboards. But if you want to talk about a really expensive keyboard, Let's talk about Fairlight's Zenergy keyboard. Mm. This thing costs twenty eight grand. Now, when it came out, I saw a lot of reports about twenty eight thousand dollar keyboard, and you know, it, I actually wrote an article about how the Zenergy keyboard works, and uh, the the headlines are a little misleading mm-hmm. because you would think like, who the heck would pay twenty eight thousand dollars for a keyboard? Well, it's not. It's not just a keyboard. It's actually part of a comprehensive audio and video engineering center. Okay, so it's Ooh. it's more like a it's more like a really complex audio and video editing device as opposed to just a keyboard. It actually has its own memory. It's got its own screen. Like there's a screen built into the keyboard. Each key, just like Optimus Maximus, is its own screen. Um, you can even, if you wanted to, display video through your keys. I don't know why you would want to do that, but you could. But you can create animated uh, uh, images on your keys. So like uh, maybe a flashing red light when you're recording something. So one of your keys is flashing red. You know, oh, that means that the record button has been hit. We're actually recording this. Like I have to ask Tyler all the time or Matt or whoever's in here. Are we currently recording? Because I kind of need to know if I have to behave myself or not. Like that stops you. Yeah, well, let's just say that we've had people ask us about outtakes. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, we don't really have any outtakes because when we make mistakes, we kind of keep them in the show pretty much. I mean, some of you have pointed those out. But um, uh, we do talk before and after the shows, and it's juicy, and I'm sure you guys would all love to hear that, but we don't record those. I specifically request that we turn the recorder yeah, really. off for that. 
Um, at any rate, so this $28,000 keyboard is really for audio engineers and video engineers. It's not meant for the average consumer. It's not meant for someone playing Doom or Quake or Half-Life 2 or anything like that. It's meant for someone who's producing music videos or albums or whatever, and they need to have uh, essentially a portable studio is what it turns out to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you done with the, uh, the Zenergy? Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say one other thing. It, it can record up to 90, it can do, handle up to 96 channels for the base model. The wow. top of the line model, 230 channels. Wow. Okay. So when you think about the Beatles recording their albums on four channels. <laughs> yep. Imagine what they'd sound like with 230 channels. That's a lot of Ringo. Yeah. So what were you going to say? I was going to mention, um, Another kind of keyboard that's considerably less expensive than that. Okay. But, uh, that, uh, John Fuller wrote about the, the laser virtual keyboard. Oh, right. Right. Um, basically this isn't a keyboard at all, except it kind of is. Um, it's a, a device that you can hook up to, uh, well, a computer or, uh, you know, certain types of, uh, other electronic devices that require keyboards. And, um, Basically, it uses a laser and it shines through a what's called a diffractive optical element, uh, and with with that and lenses, certain kinds of lenses, it projects an image of uh, a keyboard on, say, the desktop in front of you. So, in front of you, where there was a blank table, now you see the keys from a keyboard, um, and an infrared laser diode at the base uh, shines uh, a beam of light parallel to the table surface. So that when you, uh, when you type on, you know, basically you're drumming your fingers on the table in front of you, uh, on the, the pictures of the select keys, uh, the complementary metal oxide semiconductor, that's CMOS, uh, looks at where your finger is and determines the position relative to where it's supposed to be and says, okay, well, he's typing an S, he's typing a G, he's typing an L. And what then the it's send- trying to spell. Exactly. And you're sending it. <laughs> Hey, you know, maybe they're just transferring from a Dvorak keyboard layout. Could be. Anyway, um, and it sends that information back to the computer and, you know, the computer is using this virtual keyboard to, to do that. So, but cool. it's considerably less expensive than this energy. Like, you know, it's $150 or I'm so. I'm kind of curious how accurate $200. that is. Um, I don't know. I would love to try. I, I've, I've heard people say that it's a neat idea, but that, um, that, you know, it's kind of weird to use it. I don't know if that means that it's weird in the sense that since you don't have the touch feedback, it just throws you off or, you know, like, cause when you press a button, it, there's something about that sense. Like it tells you that you successfully press the button before you see that show up on the screen. Thank you for the segue. What's that? One of the oddest things, I don't think it's really that odd, but I think it's sort of odd that uh, one of the keyboards that's really, really popular. Do you remember those IBM keyboards that they used to make, the old beige things? And when you you the would hear somebody ones? and they would be really, really loud. Yeah, they had these really heavy duty switches in them, right. which made that loud noise. There are people who absolutely love those things. They're buying them refurbished. And there's another company that's coming out with the same thing called uh, the DOS keyboard. So it's, it's specifically loud it's, and clacky on purpose. It, it is specifically loud and clacky on purpose. So you know you press that key. Well, I mean, it I is can, not you know a thin rubbery membrane keyboard. It I, is a big, thick, plastic, chunky thing with a huge switch inside that clacks when you hit it. Well, again, for for those of us who who can type while looking away from the screen, like often I'll have someone come up and talk to me, and I'll be in the middle of typing a sentence, and I'll turn yeah. around, and I'll look at them while I'm still typing, which tends to throw them off for some reason. Apparently, that's creepy in some way. I never really thought of it that way. 
But yeah, you that could come in handy because you could realize that, hey, I didn't actually hit that E when I thought I hit the E. Um, now, granted, with a lot of autocorrect software, sometimes that's not really necessary unless your autocorrect software is awful and keeps on putting in words that you totally didn't mean to have in there, um, which does happen and is hilarious. <laughs> I am finished with keyboards. I think we are. Okay, well, then let's do a little quick listener mail. Okay. This listener mail comes from Adrian, and Adrian has this to say. Hey, guys, love your podcast. I'm planning to buy a computer, but I want to know when Windows might be releasing their latest operating system. Would you guys know when it might be out? Thank you so much. Next week. Actually, it's October 22nd um, is the official release date, which by the time you hear this may have been last week. <laughs> we don't know when when our podcast will be released, but uh, people, a lot of people have asked us this. So there's chance that it's already in stores now by the time you hear this. But October 22nd was the official release date. Um, thanks, Adrian. And if any of you have any questions, concerns, criticisms, you know, podcast suggestions, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. I do want to say that we talked about, uh, we talked about the inventor of the QWERTY keyboard. We have a special podcast, The Stuff of Genius, that has an episode all about him. Indeed. So you should watch that. Stuff of Genius is absolutely brilliant. Very funny animation. Totally great, awesome. Great text. Yeah, you guys got to check that out. And uh, remember also at 1 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, Chris and I host a live Hootenanny, uh, I mean a live technology news podcast show. Uh, it's Tech Stuff Live. It's you can, vaguely like a, a Hootenanny. Yeah, you can find all about this Hootenanny at our blogs. So go to HowStuffWorks.com and check it out. Crispy and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?